it's just beautiful out here. My God, how many people get to see actual snow at the ocean? Not many because they can't comprehend that because soon as, uh, what is it, the Labor Day? As soon as the Labor Day passes, they all pack up and go home and they think it's over for the ocean and the beach until, uh, until the spring slash early summer. And then all the farmers start coming out. Man, are you going to see a different uh, vibe in another, uh, uh, let's call it three months? You're just going to see a whole bunch of assholes walking down that beach with their Rolexes on and their salmon pants. That's the color of the asshole, the salmon. As soon as you see anybody wearing any type of salmon color, you should just walk the other way because nothing good is going to come of that. I can guarantee that, my friend. to everybody of course once again the dog will not leave me alone me and the dog went uh went flying last night we take the dog out for one last you know pee so he doesn't wake us up in the middle of the night nothing worse than a dog licking you in the face at three four in the morning because it has to pee or poo which is good that means we've trained him properly so uh you know we got the the uh, the snow uh melting and then refreezing and i went to the um I went to the Chinese restaurant last night for some takeout. And uh, as I left the house, it was dark and everything, my walkway, my stairs, everything was nice, real nice. And I'm like, I started thinking to myself, I don't need any more salt for this season because everybody ran out. And uh, so I'm like, you know what? Maybe I, I don't need the salt. I go to the Chinese restaurant. I pick up uh, the takeout. And as uh, soon as I, as soon as I got home, everything was completely different and everything was a complete ice rink. So then I warned everybody, and uh, we ate, blah, 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 watched some garbage TV. I don't even know what I watched. I think I was watching the impeachment thing for a little bit. And then uh, everyone was getting ready for bed, you know? And I, I said, well, I'm going to take the dog for a walk. And, and remember, oh, a mere couple hours ago, I reminded everybody about the, uh, the ice conditions outside the house. And as most of you know at this point... Um, the uh, the wife fell on the on the ice, the last ice ice storm, and she's got uh, you know two broken bones in her shoulder, really bad. So uh, I warned everybody. A couple hours later, stupid me, I forgot. I opened the front door because that was the best way to go, and whoop, me and the dog went a flying. I was able to catch myself. I jacked my knee a little bit. His little doggy legs started uh, doing a split on the ice, but uh, we survived. Larry Brown, if Mr. Hughes and Anthony got back together, it might seem too much like work. We're doing that again? 
Wait, guys, are we doing that again? Every day with this shit. Give it up, Larry. Yeah, give it up, Larry Brown. Give it up. This is what we do now. We have a nice crew. Every single day, Rachel says. Rachel, welcome to my life. It never, it fucking never ends. It just means that uh, I guess we we came up with a very, very special show back in the day, but it never fucking ends. Oh, my God. I'm trying to figure out who the real Anthony is, to be completely honest with you. I, I, I honestly don't know, and I sat across from him for uh, 20 years. I don't know. I think... I think the current version of Anthony is is uh, the the true self Anthony, and uh, for for whatever reason he uh, became more and more confident to let his actual true self come out, which is very different than the guy I met all those years ago and did uh, a lot of damn good radio with. And the switch happened as we were still doing the Opie and Anthony show. If people really are focused and paying attention, the switch happened as we were doing the show. The last few years, he was switching over to uh, his true self, which is, uh, I, you know, I'll be honest, a person I don't want to hang out with. He has he has an audience. He has a lot of people that uh, support him and believe just like he believes in a lot of the topics of the day. But uh, I sit around sometimes wondering who the real Anthony is, and I think uh, I think the version I got for the for uh, the majority of the twenty years I was with him was. I don't know, not not completely his uh, his true self, and then he let it out. He turned the Opie and Anthony show very very political, very political, very right wing, and uh, that was very different than the show that uh, I wanted to do and developed with him. And then when he moved on, he went uh, he went all in with his views. My God. And I, I believe that's why it makes it impossible for any type of Opie and Anthony reunion, man. That's that's not the type of radio I want to do. I want to be silly. I want to be a goofball. I want to be stupid. I want to do dumb voices if I want to. I want to yell Snowy if I feel like it or Brother Man, Brother Man. And keep it light and fun and, um, you know, hopefully entertaining and hopefully funny at times. So I hope that answers the question today. Oh, my God. Every day. Uh, less politics, more bra bombings. There you go, Gary Krasinski. Thanks for reminding me of one of the worst bits we ever did. That bit has no explanation. There was some type of, uh, I don't even remember the bit anymore, why we were bra bombing. That's the beauty. Uh, that bit is so old. I don't even remember the, the backstory on it anymore, but it ended with us being in a, like, a, like a motorized hot air balloon, dropping bra bombs on a uh, local TV station. Oh, is it douchey. I think we found our voice after that. That one's weird, though, because I think we were pretty damn edgy up there in Boston. I don't know if I would call us edge lords. We certainly were uh, shock jocks up there in Boston in general, but that bra bombing was, oh, my God. It was uh, morning zoo shit at its finest. Seemed like a good idea on paper, and we recorded this whole thing. The sad part, this is how naive people were. A lot of people bought the fact that we were actually dropping bra bombs 
on this local TV station. Uh, the real question, what we really need to know, who got custody of the wiffle ball bat? Bill Shaloff. Oh, my goodness. The wiffle ball bat. That's that's uh I don't know where the wiffle ball bat is at this at this time. And although I don't like the guy at all these days, um Jim Norton pretty much uh saved the Opie and Anthony show when we first got back. We had to sit out two and a half years for the Sex for Sam stunt. We started on uh Sirius XM. Uh no, only XM at the time, sorry. And we just decided to pick up where we left off, you know. We had a Jägermeister machine with chilled Jägermeister and we did this uh, bit with the wiffle ball bat. I, I don't even know if, uh, oh, my God, Rachel, do you know about the wiffle ball bat? But well, we would uh, take this wiffle ball bat and we would uh, put it in places uh, and women would uh, compete. <laughs> Rachel goes, nope, I'm scared to ask. I want more people like Rachel, people that uh, either don't give a shit about the Opie and Anthony years or they do, but they also like what I'm doing now. Rachel's one of those people. Um so the girls would willingly uh, do things with the whipple ball bat, you know? And uh, this is weird because on the latest episode of the podcast, I actually defend my stance on being a feminist because I got beat up for saying I'm actually a feminist. Go listen to the latest episode. But the reality is when we did all these crazy bits on the Opie and Anthony show, the, the women uh, were willing to do all this. And if you think women are equal to men, why not let them do crazy shit on the radio as well? The wiffle ball bat challenge was legendary, and we had it in a glass case, and the bat was marked and signed by the participants, and everyone knew what the record was, and women would try to beat the record, and it got to a point where, uh, let's just put it this way, the bat couldn't go any further. So the women that really wanted the record, they were, uh, they, they were putting their health at risk. That wiffle ball bat was in the glass case, and every once in a while, a woman would come in and she'd go, she would say something like, I want to take the challenge, and we would have a whole ceremony of taking the bat out of the glass case. <laughs> oh, my God. Preparing the fucking bat. So we get fired for the Sex for Sam. We sit out two and a half years, our, our, uh, our careers, and, and kind of part of our lives were completely ruined, and we got the chance to come back, and we were very, very successful with the comeback. But very, very early on, we had our own studios uh, on 57th Street. Uh, XM built an incredible facility for us. And we said, you know what? Uh, let's just go back to doing our show. And by the end of our run at NAW and in syndication, when we got knocked out with the Sex with Sam, we were fucking out of our minds taking chances. And the bosses were trying to calm us down and and uh, I honestly felt like we didn't need to do as much of that stuff anymore. But I also felt the pressure of the audience because we really became known for really pushing the, uh, the limits and pushing that line. And uh, listeners would pretty much call up every day basically saying stuff like, all right, what are we going to do next? Because we were, we were just completely out of uh, control and had no bosses, by the way, which is, which is a great story for another day. They had bosses that ran too many radio stations. So the guys that were in charge of us is the short answer. They only uh, they were only on site at the station like one, two days a week. That's it. The rest of the time you had these two shock jocks that didn't give a fuck making stupid money, just making up the rules as they go along. And, and we didn't have to report to anyone. Tom Chiasano 
Don't worry, I wrap all this up. I've been doing this a while. I'll get back to why Jim Norton saved the show in a second. Tom Chiasano, uh, who is Howard Stern's general manager, uh, he worked for the competition even though we were the same company. He knew how fucking talented we were, and he also knew that uh, no one was really watching us and telling us that we can't do shit. And he famously called the radio show one day. It wasn't in his best interest to save our ass, but uh, he, he's, he was that type of guy. I remember him calling up the show basically saying, what the hell are you guys doing? And basically saying, you're going to get fired. You can't be doing this on the radio. So it was a general manager from another radio station that was trying to keep tabs on um, me and Anthony. And then fast forward a, a, um, a few years, we end up working for Tom Chiusano a little bit. little bit. When we went back to regular radio after uh, Howard went to satellite, we were already on satellite. They brought in David Lee Roth. He failed miserably. And then the company that fired us and tried to crush our, our careers for two and a half years decided to rehire us. And our boss was Tom Chiusano. There you go. Rachel says, I figured that's what that was about. Uh, they're immune to COVID if they took that bat challenge. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. So anyway, we get back on uh, radio. And the, the first week or two of the new show, we almost uh, got fired again. We had a Jägermeister machine with chilled Jägermeister. And everyone was getting really effed up. And women were coming in. And they were getting naked. And... They didn't know where the hell they were, and uh, one girl uh, was uh, trying to beat the record of the wiffle ball bat challenge, and at this point, that bat had a lot of markings on it. A lot of women uh, took the challenge, and the more women that take the challenge, you realize that the record's going to be harder and harder to beat, and uh, this woman's like, screw that. I want to be a hero today. And uh, she came close to really hurting herself. And then it didn't help that another girl was was uh, completely naked on the sidewalk as regular Joes were coming into the building to the other offices to go to work. And maybe the police were called and maybe Ralphie May helped out on the sidewalk. And maybe we were uh, getting other naked drunk girls out of the out of the facility through uh, through. Uh, uh, the the uh, uh, loading dock in the back as the cops are were in front investigating, and then they recognized uh, Ralphie May, and they they were a little starstruck, and they're taking pictures with Ralphie May. Maybe some of this stuff happened, and then of course Ralphie May announced for years to come that he actually saved the Opie and Anthony show. So then I go to the diner with Jim Norton. We were uh, pretty pretty friendly back then. And uh, we're ordering, and I'm sitting there like, wow, what a start to our comeback. And Jimmy, I forgot who else was at the table. Anthony wasn't. Anthony never really uh, hung out after the show ever. Very, very rarely. Uh, extremely rare, actually, which is one of my issues, but whatever. Um, but Jimmy's like, what the fuck are we doing? He's, uh, he's like getting really mad. He's like, dude, we just sat out two and a half years. What the fuck are we doing? We're going to get fired. This was like a weekend, something like that. Maybe two weeks in tops. What are we doing? We're so fucking stupid. We're going to get fired. That was crazy what happened today. Although, you know, it was amazing radio. I'm sure you could even find the that particular show somewhere. And uh, I, uh, I listened to Jimmy that day. And uh, we pretty much got rid of the Jägermeister machine immediately. 
or we put it back in the office and it was uh, it was downplayed. I don't remember if it actually left the facility, but it certainly wasn't front and center from that day forward. And uh, and we retired the wiffle ball bat. And Bill Marchant just says, fuck Ralphie. Why? He's dead. He can't hurt you anymore, Bill. He's dead. Uh, so that's the story of Jimmy um, pretty much saving the show early on in our comeback. Did the bat go in one of those cases like you display in autographed baseball, Chris Halima? Yes, it actually was a a professional glass case. I think for bats, like bats that you you would see in Cooperstown. <laughs> yes, the the glass case was very very special. And like I said, I don't have any regrets. I don't have any regrets for doing any of this stuff. I mean, if someone sat me down and really hammered me and, and brought up specifics, maybe I would have a couple regrets. I do have uh, regrets about the Terry Clifford Jocktober thing, which is brought up um, during the latest episode of the OP Radio podcast. Uh, as I talked to Billy DeTore, uh, Brother Louise's longtime producer um, up there in Rochester. I have, a, I have some regrets about that because Weez was really bummed out and disappointed. And the reason why um, that's important to me, uh, we never spoke up about my my shenanigans. Never. That was the only time. And he was trying to tell me she's a really good lady and she does a lot for the community and blah, blah, blah. So uh, maybe if we never uh, said all that, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have regrets. I have no idea. But I absolutely do because I respect uh, Weeze. And if he says something like that, then, you know, it pulled on my heartstrings. I'm sure other people that were associated with the old show would be like, F it, but uh, not me. All right. Yeah, but those Jocktober bits were really, really funny, Paul Spinello says. Yeah, I know. I I, I, I think the Jocktober thing was uh, absolutely legendary. It, it went to some very dark, evil places. But see, I'll tell you something, and I said it a long, long time ago. We... Um, we gave the uh, listeners of the Opie and Anthony show incredible power, incredible power. They were originally called the pests. They did their job swimmingly, perfectly. They became um, famous in their own right. It was like Howard Stern's whack pack, and it was like Bubba's army on fucking, you can't even say steroids. It was way, way more than the, the whack pack and uh, and Bubba's army. Although I like Bubba. Why did I say his name like that? I like the Bubba these days. I was actually thinking about getting him on today, but I, I wasn't sure if he was up. And the Jocktober thing, especially uh, funny, brutal, at times deserved, because there's a lot of really, really bad radio out there. But I said it early. I said the pest will, will turn on us eventually. And it and that always scared me. I'm like, we're giving them too much fucking power, man. Eventually, eventually they're going to get very, very big heads. And eventually what happens with anything that's popular, eventually it's not as popular. And then your own audience, your own audience that lifted you up and brought you to the, the plateau of radio. That same audience, the hardcore guys are going to take you out. I always knew it in the back of my head. And then when we did the Jocktober, I realized, oh, my God, these guys are capable of pure evil. And uh, fast forward a bunch of years, uh, a lot of those guys that were hardcore Opie and Anthony fans absolutely uh, turned on um, 
certainly turned on me, certainly turned on Anthony, certainly turned on Jimmy, and certainly turned on a whole bunch of um, other people associated with the uh, the radio show. So uh, in the back of my mind when we were doing October, I'm like, oh, boy, eventually this is going <laughs> to turn on us. My God. I don't know what I, I could have or would have done differently, but it just goes with the territory. Is Lady Di alive? I have no idea. One of the last calls we had from her was deeply, deeply depressing. She was, uh, she was in a facility losing her mind, thinking she was on a Navy ship. And I remember, um, I remember me and Jimmy were not getting along, even though we were trying to do that radio show after Anthony left. Jimmy really didn't want to be there. He wanted the money and the exposure for selling tickets, but he really didn't want to be there uh, doing the show with me, which made it very, very difficult. Very difficult. Uh, but I remember a moment we took a phone call from Lady Di, and uh, it was really sad and depressing. And I remember me and Jimmy looking at each other like, holy fuck. It was, uh, it was sad. And uh, that was the last time. And that's got to be... I don't know at this point I'm trying to think maybe uh, four years ago, maybe something like that. That show was bad. Sorry. Truth. Jeffrey guys. Yeah, it was, uh, we, me and Jimmy, uh, weren't getting along. Um, you know, uh, well, I, I don't want to do this every day, but look, I was odd man out. Jimmy and Anthony got really, really close. They should have went off and did a show. There's a bunch of people that really enjoy their chemistry together, and it's really strange to me that they never actually went off and did an actual regular show together. Jimmy stayed behind for all the wrong reasons. I stayed behind because I, I was excited to build something new. And when uh, me and Jimmy's show didn't really work, although, you know what, you, what did you say uh, that show was bad? I don't think it was bad. Comparing it to the Opie and Anthony show, yes, of course. But I got to defend... Uh, me and Jimmy on this one a little bit, even though we went, we didn't get along and I don't think Jimmy really wanted to be there. Certainly he didn't want to be there doing it with me. I think he wanted to be at Sirius XM. I think, I think we pulled off some, some decent radio. I really do. And then when uh, that show split up and I was finally able to do the show, I really wanted to do with uh, Carl, Vic Henley and Sherrod. That was the one. And that proved right there. I'll, I'll stroke my own ego. That proved right there what I'm capable of doing. We crushed it. But at that point, Sirius XM, they were done with me. They were just trying to figure out an exit uh, strategy. And then they tried to play some dirty pool. And I said, nah, nah, nah. Nah, nah, nah. We're not doing it this way. Nah, nah, nah. Talk to my lawyer. And uh, then I left all nice in the end. Real nice. The Lady Die show is bad, so fucking depressing, Andy said. Yeah, but that was real life. I like those moments. I really like those uh, real-life moments on um, on the radio shows. Uh, I think a lot of people get caught up in the fact that it has to be funny all the time, and certainly funny is really, really uh, important. Uh, but some of those real moments like that where you're pulling at the heartstrings and maybe getting some people uh, to have a little moisture in their eyes, I didn't mind those moments at all. Stephen Tui, uh wasn't that bad. Just knew Jimmy wasn't all in. No. And I don't think there was anything I could have done differently to uh, make him all in. I mean, our relationship was done at that point. I mean, I get a lot of blame for the for the show breaking up. And then Jimmy gets to sit 
pretty much uh, in Anthony's seat. Technically, he, he stayed in his seat in the studio, but he was sitting in Anthony's seat. And uh, the haters, for whatever reason, left him um, alone for the longest fucking time. And I'm like, really? So I get all the hate for the Opie and Anthony show breaking up, even though Anthony did some pretty crazy, outrageous shit that the company warned him about. And then Jimmy gets to skate, and I get all the hate. And Jimmy, uh, and Jimmy knew I was getting all the fucking hate and had no problem uh, with that whatsoever. And I'm like, this isn't fucking fair. Jimmy also fucking stayed. And if you really like Jimmy and Anthony together, why isn't Jimmy leaving immediately and doing something with Anthony on a regular basis? But I think uh, I think uh, Jimmy uh, knew back then. I can only talk for back then because I don't really know the players anymore. I think Jimmy uh, knew that Anthony was very, very unpredictable. And, uh, and Jimmy also knew that if he went with Anthony, he wasn't going to make any real money at first, at least. And he wasn't going to be selling any um, any tickets. And I think that's the real reason why he stayed at SiriusXM begrudgingly working with me when he didn't really want to be with me. There you go. Sean Cooper, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, let's go to Brad in Ohio. Brad, are you trying to, like, boil my whole existence on the Opie and Anthony show to one of my crutches, which was to stop some of the action in front of me to go to the phones? Is that what you're trying to do, Sean Cooper? Let it go, let it go. I explained that whole thing. If you're willing to um, to listen, and I was I was pretty honest about it. I was in a terrible position. Um, I I was like, um, God, you say these things the wrong way, then you know the attack uh, begins again. But I was uh, I was the main guy in the studio, meaning I had to kind of control the action, kind of like a point guard on a basketball court. And at times when I um, stopped the action, it was for a very, very good reason. And it actually really, really helped the show. And then at times I absolutely um, probably, uh, not probably, stopped things that could have went longer. Yeah, I've already admitted all that, Sean. And I also admitted that I was in a very, very tough position. I didn't want to be in that t position. I didn't, I didn't want to ever be the boss. Anthony and Jimmy just got to skate. As soon as that show was over, they skated. And guess who hung around most days until I... The last year or two, I, I also decided to start tapping out right after the show. But I was the guy that had to hang around and do all the garbage and all the bullshit and all the meetings and look at these suits and know that they didn't know what the fuck they were talking about and go to lunch with my boring agent while everyone else went off to do their, their, uh, their lives. And then I would go home and my phone would ring all day with problems from the staff and I had to fucking deal with that. And those guys just got to skate. So uh, when you when you talk about me being bitter, add that. Add that to the pile. Because I got into radio because I didn't want a real job and I didn't want to be a boss. And then you fast forward, that's exactly what I was. A boss with a real job, with real headaches. Uh, I've I explained the hold on, hold on thing. And I do admit uh, there were times that uh, I stopped uh, some good action in front of me. Sometimes it couldn't be helped because we had either uh, commercials or live reads or guests or other things we really, really wanted to get to. And uh, I had to make judgment calls all fucking day, every single day. There were times like those guys didn't worry about the next thing we were going to do. I, I would pick the next topic or the next thing and, and then, you know, they would go with it brilliantly, of course. There were a lot of parts of that job that were a complete nightmare. Oh, you're going for a cheap laugh, Sean Cooper? <laughs> nah, it's all right. But I, I get hit with this stuff pretty much every day.
So then I decided out of nowhere that I needed a Twitch account. It's so ridiculous. My whole day is just posting on all this garbage. What the fuck is Twitch? Twitch is uh, a platform for the kids where they live stream their, um, their gaming. And, you know, they make millions of dollars, some of these kids, just for playing games online. So I, I play this Golf Clash game. I love it. And uh, I decided to start uh, live streaming my, my matches. I'm actually having a, a good time with it. But now I'm also live streaming this, um, this view right now for everybody on the Twitch. I will get tens of views on my Twitch account. I'm hoping maybe I get 10 people that check this out on Twitch today, maybe. And then we'll grow from there, you know. But uh, it's a nightmare. Oh, now you're whining for the treats. Go bother somebody else. Go. Oh, you don't really know English. Go. Go. Oh, you're tilting your head. What does that mean? I really would love to communicate with my dog. Go. He, do he doesn't understand English yet. I don't know. Maybe hand signals. Maybe he'll understand a newspaper to the nose. Go old school. You don't even have an idea, do you? When I was growing up, we had a rolled up newspaper and a little ball. And that's how we trained our dogs. And you're just staring at me. Do you understand how bad it could be if you were a dog in the 70s or the early 80s? It wouldn't be pretty, my friend. We don't have special dog treats and we don't warm up your cereal. We just give you dry, dumb cereal and that's it. And you don't have a a cage to sleep in and, and all sorts of fancy mats and blunt. Oh, now you're just going to lay down. Are you bored too? Poor Fresca. That was a sad story. Gary Krasinski says, yeah, uh, our first family dog were the one that we all would uh, say was our first dog. I think we had a couple uh, starter dogs before that, but we were too young to really fall in love with them. And uh, as you know, I'm one of uh, seven, sometimes eight or nine kids. And uh, we had dogs in our house all the time. And our beloved Fresca, we named all our dogs after soda. Uh, Fresca was our beloved dog. And he had a little lump, just a little lump on his uh, back kind of uh, upper leg slash hip area. And we're like, this is no big deal. So my mom uh, goes, ah, we're going to bring Fresca to the vet. And the vet's like, all right, give me a day or two. And we're like, no problem. So the dog was with the vet for about a day or two, and then my mom calls up because it's time to bring Fresca home, our beloved dog. And we all were a lot younger, obviously. And the vet goes, uh, yeah, you're not picking up Fresca. Uh, he died. <laughs> and then I uh, kind of remember my mom hanging up the phone and that look in her eye, and I'm like, oh, no, this ain't good. I bet you had to tell us all that Fresca died. And then my dad went to the vet with the, uh, the Volkswagen uh, bus that we had without the seats so we could uh, have more kids in the car. Because it was the 70s. There was no uh, car safety. There was no Elon Musk back then. And then, uh, I don't know, all of a sudden, uh, my dad comes home without a dog. So we would love to know what he did with the dog. And I know my dad loved to uh, cut a lot, of, uh, a lot of corners. I feel like he might have just uh, brought the dog up in the woods and buried him in a shallow grave. Were your parents hippies? Oh, my God, no, Stephen Tui. Uh, my dad was a Frank Sinatra uh, crooners type of guy. And my mom was uh, batshit crazy. 
a good woman, a good mom, but batshit crazy. So I, I, I told you, my dad missed the Beatles by a couple of years tops. So where the cutoff was, he missed that. So instead of really getting into the Beatles and wearing jeans, he uh, listened to Frank Sinatra and wore uh, uh, casual slacks and uh, loafers, especially when he was beating our asses at basketball. Told you, my dad was a rock star with the basketball. Really, really good. Recruited. Had an opportunity to join the Knicks uh, when he was uh, a youngster in his early 20s. He played for uh, Fordham Prep and Navy. He had a, he had an opportunity to try out for the Knicks. That was the days that they would wear their glasses on the court and they were throwing hook shots and... Uh, a lot of the guys definitely were doing their free throws underhand. It was before the game dramatically changed, but who gives a fuck? That's how they played it back in the day, and my dad was the best. He was unbelievable. And he didn't uh, he didn't try out for the Knicks because his uh, first wife, uh, his high school sweetheart, was uh, dying of some rare kidney uh, disease. So, uh, yeah. So that shut him down, and he never tried out for the Knicks. And then fast forward, he met my mom. I had six kids, and I've said this famously for many, many years, that death is a mother effer. Tragic is all hell. But from tragedy came uh, me and my, my siblings. So I, for one, I'm kind of glad that there was a tragedy. Now, my older sister, not so much, obviously, and I understand that. So my dad, it's sad that my dad missed the Beatles because... It's so weird because now the Beatles changed music forever, as we all know. Now we're in the year 2021. Oh, hi, Instagram. I didn't forget about you. I'll pump up the Instagram, but, I mean, look at your silly picture over there. Look at that. That's not a way to view live streaming. Instagram's got to get their crap together. You're missing half half the, the scenery. But anyway, like... Uh, the Beatles changed music, and uh, and that's kind of the norm now. And a lot of songs that are still on the radio are like 60 years old now. That's insane, man, if you think about it. And that music is still played to this day, and it is very, very much relevant. The point I'm trying to make here really quickly is, so you're on the radio, you're listening on the radio to songs that are close to 60 years old now, and uh, you still are more or less into them. Now, imagine when the Beatles hit America in 1960. Oh, Billy DeTore has it. 1964. Now go back 60 years. You think anybody listening to the radio in 1964 was listening to relevant music from 1904? You know, Instagram, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you see the whole live stream today. But I'm not looking at your comments, okay? You're the bastard stepchild right now. But we'll bring you to the table. You're at the kids' table down there low. All right. Sorry, guys. That had, that had scold the Instagrammers a little bit. Uh, we had the record player, Michelle says. Yeah, well, you know what? My kids got a record player for, uh, for the Christmas. And uh, me explaining how a record works, their minds were blown. They couldn't understand. And at this point, my son's uh, he's 10. Oh, my God. He's almost 11. How did that year just fly by? Uh, he's almost 11, guys. My, my son knows way more about um, the internet 
and uh, how things work. He's actually giving me advice on things I should be doing with my YouTube channel and my Facebook page and my live streaming. It's kind of scary. But then I got him back because he got a record player from his um, grandparents down there in Philly. And they love it, but their minds are blown. They can't understand the technology at all. They're like, wait, this needle, the grooves, why? There's nothing on the grooves. Oh, it's beautiful. And it was a Billie Eilish uh, record. Yes, my, my, my son's into the Billie Eilish. So um, Tom Brady. Tom Brady can't handle his bikini teeny. That video yesterday was classic. And uh, he's got people around him that are really, really dumb because uh, Tom Brady, they had a little Super Bowl parade. They did it on the water with a whole bunch of boats. And then they show him pretty much leaving the boat parade, really wasted, where a guy is pretty much holding him up. Think uh, weekend uh, at Bernie. Bernie's? Weekends at Bernie or weekend? Weekends at Bernie, right? Yeah, he kind of had that look to him. He was really fucked up. He was able to handle the Chiefs' uh, defense, but he can't handle one bikini teeny because, you know, you got to think he doesn't drink a lot. And he has no body fat. So, man, just a little alcohol is going to go a long way in Tom Brady's uh, body, I'm thinking. But good for him, right? I mean, that was an amazing victory for him. But I got to say, the Vince Lombardi uh, trophy. So, Tom Brady's on a boat. He's got the Vince Lombardi uh, trophy, and he's going to throw it to Gronk on the boat uh, behind him. And everyone's like, oh, my God, is he really going to do this? Ah! And then someone's yelling, don't worry about it. If it falls in the water, he still has six more. And everyone's like, <laughs> that's a funny line. Oh, my God. <laughs> a math joke. Anyway, um, so he throws the Vince Lombardi trophy to the Gronk, and the Gronk catches it, and it was a great moment. It's a very, very viral video, and I'm sure most of you have seen it. Now I'm going to blow up your spot just a little bit, little bit, okay? Instagram, to your left right now, there's a giant dinosaur on the beach. You can't see it because, look, that's all you get to see. But the Facebook people, they see the giant dinosaur on the beach. All right, let me blow up your spot with the Tom Brady thing. So he throws the Vince Lombardi trophy. Gronk catches it. Great moment. Everyone's like, oh, my God, I can't believe he fucking did that, right? The fact is, if you do a little research, uh, the rumor is that uh, they drag around a fake Vince Lombardi trophy in public. So he knew if that thing hit the water that uh, ah, it's not the real one. And then he also knows that uh, they would get a few divers and they would – they would go find the uh, the Vince Lombardi uh, Vince Lombardi trophy. Oh, you just got a nice picture of the doggy. Not on Instagram though, because he was just left of the frame. Why would you do that to yourselves, Instagram? Everyone else got a, a cute shot of my dog. Oh, now the dog walks across the Instagram screen. So enjoy that. You didn't deserve that look at my dog right there, Instagram. Oh, but see, on the Facebook, you, you see my dog looking out at, at the ocean right now. Um, so anyway, um, over the years, oh, God, I got to move the iPad. Oh, God, hold on a second. I got to move. By the way, the, uh, the iPad stand uh, came, and it's just uh, in a box getting soaked by the rain and the snow right now. It, it arrived yesterday, and I didn't bother bringing it in the house, so. I think tomorrow the, the shaky camera goes away officially. So over the years, uh, 
I, I've seen the Stanley Cup a couple times, and I, I used to be a massive hockey fan, not so much these days, but now that the football season's over, I'll dip back into my Islanders, and that's the only team I follow in hockey, I swear. When I was a caddy at the Huntington Crescent Club, when the Islanders went on their ridiculous Stanley Cup run, um, a couple of the members were Islanders. Uh, it was uh, Clark Gillies for the old-timers and Billy Smith. I think that was the only two officially that were members, but they brought all their fellow teammates up there all the time in the offseason to, um, to play golf. Matter of fact, during one of the Stanley Cups, I actually got to caddy in between games. I think, if my memory serves me right, they were playing the L.A. Kings. I'm not sure if that was uh, for the Stanley Cup. I'd have to go back. But they were definitely playing the, the L.A. Kings. I think it was the Stanley Cup. And I, you know, as a kid loving my Islanders in hockey, I, I always thought that these guys hated each other. Because, you know, especially back in the day, Man, if if a hockey game didn't have five or six fights, you would ask for your money back. It was a, a much more violent, vicious game. And me as a kid, I'm thinking, wow, these two teams hate each other. And then I go to the golf course, and all, all of a sudden, I get called for a loop. I'm trying to remember. It was definitely Billy Smith, an Islander that was uh, from, from some Eastern Europe country that – didn't play golf. He literally shot 140. And even though I'm a huge uh, Islanders fan uh, and I loved golf and loved caddy and I hated that guy that day who shoots 140. And that was with a lot of mulligans and giving the guy a break. I remember that. And uh, the foursome was, so Billy Smith, this guy, and then they split it up. So there were a couple LA Kings and I was out of my mind. I'm caddying. I'm like, I'm I'm caddy. I'm caddying during the Stanley Cup Finals. This is crazy. They got an off day, and they're here at the golf course, and I'm caddying for these guys. The Islanders win the Stanley Cup, and uh, because those guys were members of the Huntington Crescent Club back in the day, um, Clark Gillies might still be a member. Even I don't know. I haven't. Uh, I've lost touch with Clark Gillies a long time ago. We used to kind of talk from time to time because he's a Huntington guy. I got to see the Stanley Cup and get a picture with the Stanley Cup, and they had it on display all nice. And uh, the first thing you notice is there's a little rust, or back in the day there was. There was some rusty parts, and there were a lot of dents. And uh, they shined that thing up really nice for the presentation. But uh, there was a time that that trophy was pretty beat up. And then fast forward, I'm doing the radio show with uh, Anthony, and we're at uh, the K-Rock Studios, the old Howard Stern studio. And they brought the – Stanley Cup in uh, to, you know, pump up the uh, the playoffs in the Stanley Cup. They would bring the Stanley Cup around to TV stations and radio shows and whatnot. And that thing was in the studio. And this is how my mind, well, it kind of still works this way. I was trying to figure out how I could grab the Stanley Cup. <laughs> I, was, I was always thinking stupid headlines. I was trying to think how I could grab the Stanley Cup and get it out of the studio and get out of the building and run down the street with the Stanley Cup. I probably would have been fired on the spot, but God, what a great way to go out. So the whole time is this guy has white gloves on, I remember, and, and his hair was from another fucking uh, decade. I remember that too. But he had the white gloves on because, you know, you got to handle the Stanley Cup with care. And he's talking about the history of the Stanley Cup. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And my whole brain is just going to another place. How do I grab that Stanley Cup? 
and how do I uh, get out of this building with it? But I never, I never went for it, obviously. I'll tell you another story. So uh, growing up on Long Island, we would come into the city for, um, for these talk shows. We saw Montel. We saw a lot of uh, Phil Donahue and a few others. It was my mom's thing. She loved those talk shows. So we would always get tickets. And then as, uh, as kids, we would come in. Um, I think I was like, uh, I, I, was, I think I was in high school for most of them. And um, I would sit in the audience and uh, I'd have visions. I would have, this is embarrassing. Maybe I shouldn't admit this. I would have visions as I was sitting there that I should like charge the stage and tackle Phil Donahue. <laughs> and in my head, it made sense. Not because I wanted to hurt him or anything, because I thought it would make for some wonderful TV. And then, you know, then there'd be a massive commotion. And then they would have to ask me, why'd you do that? And I would have to say something stupid like, well, why not? Maybe because uh, the shows we went to were so boring, I was just sitting there. But I started daydreaming. I'm like, wow, I, I'm, I, I got an aisle seat, and, and, and there's a runway right up to the stage. As soon as Phil Donahue turns around to ask a question to his, uh, for, for one of his guests, I could, I could just blindside tackle the guy. I probably would have got a pretty good beating if I did that, right? Dave Grohl, this is kind of an interesting discussion, kind of. He was asked uh, what three albums he would suggest that kids listen to to learn about music. His choices were okay. He went with the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. I love the Beatles, but I love uh, the early Stones better. I was more of a black hat guy. Beatles were like white hat guys, and the, and the Stones were, they wore the black hats. You know what I mean? They weren't goody two shoes like the Beatles. They were down and dirty, and I and that appealed to me. I liked that a lot. So I would have to think about it, but I think I would pick a, a, a an early Rolling Stones album over any Beatles album. Although you know you got to acknowledge the Beatles were were the best for the longest fucking time. So David Grohl suggested kids should listen to Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. He said, if you want to learn how to play the drums, then you should listen to ACDC Back in Black. And then he picked an album that I cannot disagree with whatsoever. He said Saturday Night Fever by the Bee Gees. I remember being a kid and loving that album. Um, and I played that album wherever we went. And I thought for a while there, me and my friend John Ewing. Oh my God, John Ewing! I remember you. He's a really old, old friend of mine. Lost touch a million years ago, but we were very, very tight. We were very, very close. Uh, he was well over six foot tall when we were friends, and I, uh, when we first started being friends, I was five two, ninety one pounds. He was well over six foot and uh, probably pushing two hundred pounds. We both played basketball together. And uh, he was the first guy to uh, get his uh, learner's permit, and he was able to drive us all over the Centerport area. He, uh, no joke, when he was 16, he was one of those kids with a mustache and looked like he was easily in college. So uh, he got everyone, I mean everyone, their, uh, their alcohol. And he was a really good dude. And we, uh, we hung, went to the high school parties and whatnot. 
and we would we would bring along Saturday Night Fever. So when Dave Grohl said that's one of the albums you should listen to, as a kid, I'm like, okay, phew. Okay, if Dave Grohl says so, all these years later, I can finally admit I too loved that album. And I haven't watched the Bee Gees documentary. I don't know why. I got I got to go and uh, I got to go and watch that. Opie, how deep is your love for that album? Clever, clever Chuck Ryan. I was thinking of some of my favorite albums of all time, but I can't. This was just quick thoughts as I was uh, turning on the live stream. Oh my, Jen first. OMG, you were a very sensitive child. I was. I was a. I was. Um, I was a bitch. I was a bitch. That's just between you and me. Uh, but then I found my real self and started sticking up for myself. But I was a very sensitive kid, unfortunately. Um, anyway, uh, after the Dave Grohl thing, I started thinking about albums that I uh, I like and, and at least would maybe put on my top three list. And the two that come to mind right away for me, not sure if it would make my final, because it's because that's that's not an easy task. Think about your top three favorite albums. Just throw some out there, because that'll make this even harder. But I, I quickly I thought of uh, U2's Joshua Tree. I love every song off that. Although the more I listen to Rattle and Hum, my God, I love that album, and I'm starting to like that album more than Joshua Tree. But the problem is, I think U2 really fucked it up with all that talking shit in between the songs. Some of it worked, but uh, but. Uh, but some of it just is a massive distraction between the songs. Uh, Pink Floyd Animals is an amazing album. I I can't disagree with you, man. Um, but I throw uh, Joshua Tree on there. Ah, oh, see, that's why I can't do this. Jen First just uh, hit me with Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. Uh, an amazing album. There's not a bad song off that damn thing. The Doors, you got you got to throw maybe a Doors album on there. Maybe Metallica's Black album is amazing. Demented World by Opie and Anthony, of course. Gary Krasinski, Almond Brothers debut album. See, this is why you can't do this. Zep Four is an amazing album. Although over the years I started getting into uh, Led Zeppelin's second and third album, Zep Two and Zep Three. Oh God, yeah. Oh God, yeah. See. But anyway, I quickly thought Joshua Tree by U2. And the other one was Radiohead's uh, The Benz that Stephen Lynch famously turned me on to when we were driving from L.A. to Vegas. That album's amazing. I love, love, love. Alice in Chains, Jesus, I, I can't do that. Alice in Chains Unplugged I would have to put up there. I love Alice in Chains to death. Um... But that Unplugged album, I think their Unplugged album was better than Nirvana's. Uh, and I love the Nirvana Unplugged album as well. Dr. Dre, The Chronic. Oh, my God. Pearl Jam. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 not easy. But I think Dave Grohl got out of it because it was like three albums that kids should listen to to learn about music. So I think that made it a little safer. He says Saturday Night Fever because he said every time you play that album, you feel like you feel like it's Saturday night, even if it's Monday. And I thought that was a perfect description of that album by the Bee Gees. Lane Staley is my favorite voice of all time, Gary Krasinski says. Yeah, man. He died tragically, man. He shut everyone out and his uh, heroin addiction got worse and worse. And 
turns out you fast forward a bunch of years and the guy just dies alone and they had to find him like a week i think about a week later what a, it's just a sad tragic story all the good ones died early man i don't know why that is and then, uh, who died during a charcoal uh, grill indoors? You, you wrote that weird uh, Mr. Twitch guy, got Dan Capez getting a lot of attention because he's one of my only followers on Twitch. That would be uh, Brad Delp of Boston. Brad Delp um, famously uh, decided to kill himself by dragging his, uh, his grill into his house and turning on his grill. Really tragic story. I'll end with this. Back when we were at the only station that really rocks, even though there were a whole bunch of other rock stations in Boston, but we were the only one that rocked, you know, WAAF. We, we had unbelievable Christmas parties. Back in the day, radio stations would throw incredible Christmas parties, really go all out. And nowadays, they don't do that at all. They used to give you bonuses, too. Bonuses and Christmas parties. And I'm sure... Whatever business you're in, you remember that stuff too. And, and you remember the year all that went bye-bye for the most part. So we're at the Christmas party and Brad Delp is there. His, his new band is his Beatles cover band. And these songs are sung perfectly. Amazing. Had a nice nice thing going on. And uh, famously, uh, I, I don't know how it went down, but I think Anthony went up to Brad Delp in between sets and said, Hey, I sing, you know, I'm a singer or whatever. And Anthony got the, the opportunity to sing. I forgot what they sang that night. Uh, I don't remember anymore. But I remember Anthony did absolutely crush it with Brad Delp and his Beatles cover band. I was like, God, that's a fucking moment, man. Here's a guy. He's only uh, at that point maybe a year, maybe two years removed from putting in air conditioners and heating units. And now, uh, fast forward, anything's possible. He's up there in Boston on a stage with the lead singer of uh, Boston singing i think beatles songs during a christmas party those are the memories i like to focus on my friends with that let me say uh mike anthony thanks for checking me out today and kevin griffin and bob lord of course and josh Dewar, stammering idiot as he laughs yeah i know i stammer i, I didn't get into this because i had the golden pipes there's so many words. I don't even know if you're supposed to put an S on the end of it or not. That freaks me out. <gasps> the phlegm I get from adding milk to your coffee. Eton Burke notices that. Thanks for noticing that. Ryan West, uh, have a good day. And Charles Serrato and Brent Weaver and Chuck. Uh, Rachel, <laughs> smooth podcast, smooth balls. Promo code OP, O-P-I-E at manscaped.com. That's why I love the Rachel. Benjamin Tucker. Thank you, Benjamin. He, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. He's my uh, my biggest supporter slash, slash super fan slash whatever. Star giver. He's my biggest star giver. Star seed. Star seed. Anyone? Yay! 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 Uh, I want to uh, learn that song. Our Lady Peace. Do yourself a favor and uh, go down a little, uh, go down a little rabbit hole with Our Lady Peace on the YouTube. You will thank me tomorrow. You, you, you don't realize how many great songs Our Lady Peace had. I was listening to them uh, a few days back for 
it had to be two hours straight. Oh my God. And then I also realized, uh, this is uh, probably a little too inside, but I, I, I thought to myself, the lead singer of Our Lady Peace, and unfortunately I don't know his name off the top of my head, and I interviewed him a couple times over the years. He sounds a lot like Stephen Lynch with the, with the, you know, the, vocal, uh, with the vocals. They've they, they got similar vocal styles, uh, doing very different things with their vocals. And both uh, kick ass, obviously. Can we have a rock screen before you split? Now, my voice is shot. I haven't really talked about it, but doing radio uh, since I was 18, haters love to point out that fact that I've been doing this since I was 18. Older guy now. Uh, my voice is shot. It's really uh, really getting scratchier and raspier, and uh, I, don't have, I don't have the same. Uh, I, I, I screamed into microphones for decades, and uh, I really fucked up my vocal cords. Just going through my life day to day, no one really notices at all. But when I try to like get a little bit of a broadcast voice going, because you got to talk from a different uh, spot. What your what is it? Your diaphragm or something? Um, I I realize it's not the same as it used to be. And yeah, you got to work out that muscle like anything else. Todd knows, so maybe it'll come back a little bit. Then I can start screaming again. But every time I scream, I can feel my vocal cords. They start to like freeze up <laughs> it gets they get right there it just happened they get stuck no freezing up with blue chew promo code opie opie rachel thank you yes bluechew.com for boners promo code opie opie to try for free okay okay have a good day stassi Boo 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 bo